and I'm really glad to be here. I think we really need to keep each other company in these days. I always think, what I, I think it was more true that I used to think, what interesting Dharma topic will I talk about? Four Noble Truths, the Eightfold Path, the Five Hindrances, the Seven This, the Ten That. <laughs> And there's a lot of there's a lot of Dharma material and it's always relevant. But I think the superseding question always is how are you managing these days to keep your mind in a, a good shape with all the pressures of what's going on? All through the pandemic, I remember saying, um, especially in the time that we were all on lockdown one way or another, and it seemed to be no end to it. And I said, uh, there's a way in which the pandemic affects the whole world. So you think, here's the whole world. And we can all suddenly have a vision of how life is really precious. Because all of, in the very beginning, we didn't know how long it was going to go on and how many people would lose their lives and who would be bereaved. And I thought, wow. This is maybe one of those times in history where human beings stop and say, wait a minute, uh, life is really precious and also so vulnerable. You never know. Somebody breathes on you and you get sick and you breathe on somebody else. You never know. Certainly the whole world, if we come through this, will be so um, glad for having survived and having their life continue that they'll really realize that we are a, 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 a sisterhood and brotherhood of people in the world. I read this morning that Paul Farmer, how many people heard of Paul Farmer? Yeah, I'll talk a little bit about him today. Paul Farmer was an amazing physician who, whose view is that the world is needing to be healed of different kinds of diseases that hadn't been addressed all over the world. And he died two years ago, quite young, actually, of heart disease, but uh, which is sort of ironic because he had like the biggest heart in the world. Um, um, what do you call that? Um, uh, not literally. Uh, anyway, he had a tremendous generosity that no place was too far and no population too small to be interested in taking care of them. And I thought that we'd come through the pandemic and everybody would be so glad that the, that the world survived. And people now seem to be gearing up to think about uh, changing the world so that the, the planet can survive. And all of that, and in the middle of that, all of a sudden, here's this terrible new menace happening. The menace of who knows, man. Uh, I, I hope not some some catastrophic war, but the menace of uh, brutality on the people who are involved in what's going on in Ukraine. So I I I don't think we cannot mention that when we come together. People are asking me how are you doing, and I say you know I'm and I'm in such amazed that uh, in this in this period of the world's history where we can do prenatal in utero surgery uh, with lasers 
on unborn babies to correct uh, things that are not right before they're born, so that they're born with everything fixed. And we can take a rocket and send it to land on, not only on the moon, but on Mars. We can let, we can do amazing things. And we can't finish losing our temper and falling into, falling into a war where people purposely kill each other. It's incredible to me that this goes on. So I couldn't not, I, I had a plan. I wasn't going to start that way, <laughs> but I did because I see all of you and it's the top thing on my mind. And I'm sure it's the top thing in your mind too, because I'm not only worried, I am mean, worried about the people in Ukraine and the people in that part of the world, but I am worried about the world because when is going to be the end of brutality and barbarism? So I wanted to start, so forget that. Well, don't forget, just put it on the side. I wanted to send you a message from, um, um, here he is. Here is John. John Nan, John Nankum, Nankum. Many people who have been in this group for a long time. Remember that a few years ago, uh, before the pandemic, when uh, uh, primarily Yazidi uh, were refugees from Syria trying to make it across a body of water to Greece where they could be safe. And John Namkun, who's a uh, more than 65 year old, man from Sonoma County, which is just north of where I am this minute and where Spirit Rock is, decided uh, at the time, five or six years ago when it was, to uh, go there and volunteer, with a vol go there and join a volunteer organization. He didn't show up out of the blue. He joined a volunteer organization that he, pay he bought his own ticket paid for all his own expenses, round trip to Greece, and he went. And uh, he spent several weeks mostly standing on and dishing out soup from huge vats to long lines of refugees staying in a refugee encampment there, tremendous encampment of people who had safely made it across this passage of water. And then he came back after that, and having noted that uh, this community of thousands of people were a refugee community, uh, that the uh, underserved, they, they, they served food to keep people alive. But there was nothing primarily for young people to do throughout these long days. And he decided he wanted to uh, go back, so he bought again another ticket, paid for his own stuff, his own tickets told people, started a GoFundMe uh, that was run by an organization that was accepting volunteers and went again, this time with the equipment to set up basketball court in this huge uh, encampment. And they set up at least one basketball court with baskets, had managed to send and buy and get delivered basketballs 
And he went back with his wife this time, who taught English to um, as a second language to adults in the day, while he in the day did every other kind of thing, including teaching basketball to young people. He was a high, was a high, uh, high school teacher, I think. He, he was notably a, um, a special ed teacher all of his life, which I think gives a clue about what kind of a person does a thing like this. For children with special needs, that was what he did. So here are people with special needs. And he went back with his wife, spent several more weeks, taught them, made, constructed the basketball courts, taught them how to play. And it made a big difference in that whole community of young people and adults playing basketball. And several weeks ago, I got an email from John Nankum. He said, uh, I, I've been watching the news about the war in Ukraine with great dismay and sadness, especially the plights of millions of refugees who have left their homes with nothing but what they could carry. Thousands more are crossing the borders every day. I'm sure you have experienced similar emotions. Many of you are undoubtedly wondering how you can help the refugees. Well, I'm leaving for the Polish border on Friday to volunteer for two weeks with an organization called Type of Wood Charity, a strange name for a charity, but volunteers use rental vans to transport refugees to various locations throughout Poland and are also involved in a number of other activities at the border. And he said, one of the ways you can help refugees is to donate. And he tells you where to click on. And I'd like to collect uh, $5,000. That's my goal. But otherwise, I'm paying all my own expenses. This is to pay for expenses with the refugees, relocating them and what they need. Uh, collectively, we can come together and make a difference in the lives of those those in heartbreaking situations. Thank you. So I got, this is before he went, and while he was there, I got a number of uh, follow-ups. First of all, he had $5,000 in one day. And then by the next day, he had, uh, two days later, he had $10,000. And by the time he left on Friday, he had $15,000. And so he went. Because, I, you know, I'm, I, I, everybody, I'm sure everybody who read his, notice sent and uh i just heard this morning that now he i had read his last blog this morning that he's coming home one of the blogs showed a photo of him with five people uh i think three adults and two children standing in front of one of these vans that uh, the charity had rented and these are the people who's who are about to, he is about to drive to some other location in Poland where they either have safe haven there or they're going to go on to someplace else. And he's written a little bit of what did they have to say, these adults. And one woman said, I can't believe you came all the way from California to give me a lift from here to to Lvov or someplace else, to some other city, that you came all the way to California to drive me from here to such and such a city. And I, I was so moved by that particular thing. And I remembered early on, and who knows, you, you probably know the story, they tell it other teachers, do they? 
Other teachers tell it retreats all the time. It's a well-known fable about people uh, walking along um, a um, an ocean front, walking along the uh, edge of the sea, and the tide has gone back it out, and there are thousands of starfish that are stranded on the beach, and somebody is picking them up and throwing them out into the water and then pick up another one throwing it back out into the ocean and the person that this person is walking with says uh you know there are uh uh there are so many thousands of starfish out here how can you how can you think that you can make a difference uh how can it make a difference you're throwing what you're throwing and the answer to that was, it made a difference to that starfish. And I was just so moved by that. How many people knew the starfish story? It's like a, 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 it's like a standard story. But it made a difference to that starfish. It made a difference to that family that he drove them to the love of where he drove them through. That we can't all collectively do something, but we can individually do something and feel better. And the reason I the reason I had this right ready to start with this morning is I I thought I have to have something that's a little bit of an uplift in the morning. That's what I can do in the morning. It made a difference to that starfish. It could make a difference if I present to you my how I can if I can remain hopeful about the situation and what I'm thinking about. If it lifts you up, then you will get through your day better and you'll lift up other people and you'll feel better. I think that um, a friend of mine uh, in, the, in, the, in the Dharma teaching world was telling me a story about thinking. Uh, she's an older person like myself and she was thinking about, you know, it's getting, uh, it's getting harder as you get older to show up places, to prepare a talk, to keep on going. She said, I was thinking, uh, now I have grandchildren, I could just retire and stop preparing and going and not going and getting online. She said, but then I thought to myself, I remember uh, years ago, uh, when we all took a bodhisattva vow, uh, you may or may not know that um, the bodhisattva vow is a vow in the Tibetan Buddhist tradition, but people take a vow and they say a vow that's like a koan. It's, it's really impossible. You say, uh, although beings are numberless and suffering is ubiquitous, I vow to end all suffering for all beings. So first of all, when you think about that, it doesn't logistically make any sense. You couldn't possibly, unless your contribution for all beings is a good heart, then it makes some difference to everybody that you meet. If you change, it's like one starfish. You change this starfish, that starfish. It's one thing in the tide of the rising tide of uh, awakened people and the encroaching tide of confusion and ignorance. 
So she said, I thought it over and I thought I can't do that. I took that vow. So I'll continue to teach however I can. Uh, he can't quit, in other words. Everybody stays in. So I thought normally we start, I, I know Heidi always starts with the beginning of meditation. So I want to tell you uh, another beginning meditation that I once heard. And we'll do that for a beginning meditation. And then I want to talk about some Buddhist lists and how do you keep your heart alive, <laughs> which I am reviewing all the time and watching how my heart sinks and pulls back up and what pulls it back up. So here's the story. Um, there's, a, there's a man named Bhikkhu Analio. Bhikkhu Analio is a German Theravada monk. He lives in Germany. He's a prodigious writer of, uh, translator of Theravada texts and writer of his own experience, writer of his own books on mindfulness. Uh, Bhikkhu Analia was at Spirit Rock, I must be five years ago, 10 maybe, I don't know. And he was there, I don't remember what, what auspices he was doing, but he was going to give a talk one afternoon to the teacher's council, anybody wanted to come, and staff, I suppose, and uh, teacher trainees. So there were probably 60 or 70 people in the room, and he was sitting in the front in his robes. And then he started, and without any fanfare or, you know, he... he he didn't say, in other words, I don't want to say this so it sounds like a not good thing, but I would like cutting, cutting to the what's important. He didn't say, hello, I'm Biko Analio and I'm going to do this and this and this. Uh, he said, looking at all of us, before we start, I'd like you all to close your eyes and notice if there are any uh, unpleasant or distracting or unwholesome feelings in your mind at all. And if there are, sweep through your mind with the Brahma Viharas until they're gone. And so, first of all, how many of you ever heard that instruction? Not many. Well, if someone said that to you, would you know what to do? Sweep through your mind with the Brahma Viharas. I'm going to tell you right away what it is, <laughs> because I didn't know what to do either, and I even know what the Brahma Viharas were, and I even got it that what it was meant to do, what it was meant to convey is that the Brahma Viharas, which are spontaneous goodwill towards all beings and compassion based on wisdom towards all beings, and uh, empathic joy for other people even if it's not your particular joy, somebody else wins a prize or falls in love or has a baby or does something that you are not doing and having the attendant pleasure. To have the attendant pleasure, look at that. In this world of so much disappointment, there is pleasure and delight. And the fourth of them, so to have metta, good, goodwill towards all beings, compassion, 
really good will for all beings. Uh, joy for other people's moments of joy and delight and pleasure. Um, it's called empathic joy or sympathetic joy, which is a funny name for it because uh, you don't actually think about having sympathy for a, Anyway, empathic joy is better. And equanimity. And equanimity is, uh, in my mind, uh, a, a, a more or less of a synonym for wisdom. The mind is filled with wisdom. It doesn't stay tranquil. It gets startled. It gets upset. It gets elated. And it finds its balance again right away. Out of the wisdom that's part of equanimity that says anything that stirs up the mind tremendously blurs its clear seeing. That's like maybe the most important thing I said so far. Anything that comes up, that uh, great compassion comes up, great compassion that's steady, that has equanimity in it, can hold the difficulty of the situation. The uh, great goodwill towards everybody, omitting none, as we passed over when we worked on the sutta together sometimes back. Equanimity when somebody else is having a wonderful thing and uh, having a baby and getting a book contract and falling in love and uh, getting a promotion and all good things that you wish were happening to you and they're not. And you might possibly fall into envy and you don't want to. Equanimity is the, is the expression of wisdom that says, now is not your time. Now is that time. Your time will be another time. Tomorrow's another day. Not everybody is having the same thing all the time. And anyway, here's Biko Analyo saying, sweep through your mind with the Brahma Viharas. It always sounds to me like <laughs> there's a closet in my kitchen where there's a broom and a mop <laughs> and other kind of cleaning preparations and tools. And I think about, okay, if there's anything not good in the kitchen, you open the closet and you sweep through it or mop through it or wipe through it. So I was very struck by Bigo and Alio saying that. So I think that's enough talking. We should sit for a little bit. And uh, maybe the shorter of two meditations today. And we'll try a little bit sweeping the mind. I haven't ever done it quite like this before, so we'll see how it happens. Since Pico and Alia did it with me a long time ago. Sit in a way that's comfortable. We'll, leave, we'll use the instruction, let the mind and body assume peace and ease. If you tell that to your body, let's have peace and ease. 
It'll do it to the degree that it can. Because the mind understands the word peace, understands the word ease. They're about the same. Notice what happens when you say that to yourself. They're really like equanimity, peace and ease. Nothing needs to change. This is a balanced place. And I'm assuming that it's true for you as it is for me, that there's all kinds of things in your life that are pending and that you have to do and that you will do uh, in another hour and a half. But under that, there's a place that remembers a feeling of peace and ease. I was reading yesterday a new Dharma book by a teacher I hadn't known about. And that teacher gave us the instruction to sit down, smile a little bit at least. Somehow if you smile, the neurons do something in your body. It has to do with peace and ease. You may have been practicing uh, metta, loving-kindness, before. You may have been doing it for many years. For the next few minutes, say to yourself, May I feel peace and ease. May I feel peace and ease. You can also say, may I feel content. I'm always so um, rewarded, not so much interested, but consoled by the fact, consoled is a better word, by the fact that when I say that, and my body does that, it's as if I think to myself for the millionth time, this is really true. I can call up a mind state. Maybe not forever, but at least for a moment. May I feel peace and ease. May all the people that I love, near and far, feel peace and ease.
See how your mind feels when you think that. May all the people that I know and love near and far feel peace and ease. May all beings everywhere feel peace and ease. This is a meditation where you, of course, feel yourself breathing in and out, but that's not the predominant object of attention. The predominant object is the wish for oneself and for all beings that they feel peace and ease. And the practice is always not only the wish and the action, but the awareness of what the mind feels like when it makes those wishes, what it feels like in its mind and in its body, how I feel wishing. I sometimes imagine that my body and my heart is a broadcast studio and that in all directions and in all ways I am sending out blessings of peace and ease to all beings in the world. And then let come into your mind the awareness that amongst all those beings in the world are beings that are in pain and suffering from physical illnesses, from mental illnesses, from all the 
pains and disappointments that come along with being a living being. For all the people that are in pain, in your family, in your friends, it's good to start with them for a little bit because, because you know them and can visualize them. It stirs the heart so much because you care about them personally. As I do that, I think about this one and that one, and I think may be well, may feel healed, may feel consoled. Any words that work for you, take your time and think about people that you know, that you wish could feel consoled. may occur to you as you do that, that in consoling the world, you are sitting in the middle of those prayers for consolation. And perhaps you also can feel consoled in whatever ways there is tension in your body and mind. Sometimes people like to say something like, may I, along with all beings everywhere, feel consoled. And we'll spend a little bit of time bringing to mind people you know, care about, your family, who are in some particularly good place, 
celebrating something, having some good luck. Maybe not somebody that you know personally, but that you know about. It's really out of wisdom. The wisdom that says we have in this life pain and difficulty, but we also have moments of joy and delight. And recognizing that uh, one of the challenges to one's own mind of composure is envy or jealousy. I wish I were having that joy and delight. And the antidote to that, as all as it, is, as it always is, is wisdom. Sometimes you do, and sometimes you don't. May your joy and delight continue. May you enjoy it. May my ability to not resent your joy and delight be a cause of delight to me. However the words appear to you. That whatever I am doing, wherever I am, to alleviate pain in the world, there are other people who do it magnificently and amazingly and are able to go. May I and and help out firsthand. May I enjoy their ability to be able to go. May I delight in their kindness. May all beings be peaceful and happy and come to the end of suffering. And then let's look at each other and wish for all the people that you see on the screen. When you see them, especially if we smile, if you smile at them, on the screen, you don't know who's looking at you. But if you smile, then everybody thinks you're smiling at them. And if you think about or feel 
how you feel in you when you are wishing well to everybody. Think about it. I want to tell you a few more stories. And then in our question time in a little while, I want, I, I, I'm going to ask you, how do you feel? Just in this moment. I see Ace is back. <laughs> I'm going to look in all the other pages and see who's where. What a pleasure to know that there are so many people in the world wanting to be together in kinship. That's all right. I'm looking around to see where is the little dinger that goes. Oh, there it is hiding. Those of you who have been at Spirit Rock know that there's an enormous bell there. There's an enormous bell in Spirit Rock in our largest meditation hall that was a gift. 22 years ago, I guess, when that big hall was finished and we first moved in there. It's impossible that that could be then. No, no, that big hall wasn't then. That was for the first hall on the top of the hill at the retreat center. Uh, big, uh, big bell. And it was a gift from the uh, San Francisco, uh, from the uh, Green Gulch, Zen Center, which is another wonderful teaching Dharma center in Marin County, where I live in West Spirit Rock is. And uh, it's, it was a, it's a wonderful gift to give another Dharma center, a tremendous bell like that. And I think about it every time I read that, ring that bell, because this is a little minky bell, big bell, boom. And I think every time I, I, Every time I hear it, I enjoy it, and I have a feeling of gratitude for uh, the Greenville Zen Center for having given it to us uh, 20, 22 years ago, really, uh, when, that, when that meditation hall was inaugurated. And I was thinking about all the ways in which an act of generosity not only picks up the mind, but picks up the mind forever, because you remember it. I hardly ring the bell without thinking about the, the Zen Center.
So there are a few more things that I feel like putting in as a uh, as um, pieces of information around those Brahma Viharas. For the for who for put up your hand this way. If this is the first time you've heard the teaching of uh, metta, compassion, empathic joy, and equanimity just put together, who didn't know that before? That's great. So I'm very glad that I talked about it. You know, one of the interesting things, we, we, we are playful about it sometimes as Virak. There are so many lists of the ten this and the six that and the something that. Uh, and somebody will suddenly burst out saying, and a partridge in a pear tree, because there are the this, that, and the that many that. And uh, it, it's generally acknowledged that there are lists, because in the very beginning that the Buddha was teaching, nobody wrote anything down. Or so they say, the first written uh, reports of the Buddha's teachings were up in, in Pali and 300 years after he lived and uh, in Sri Lanka actually. Uh, so it was a long time later. And sometimes uh, you wonder uh, if somebody didn't make a mistake in the 300 years and didn't exactly say that. Uh, how many people have ever gone to a birthday party where they played um, um, telephone when you were a child, you go to a birthday party. Where the, the way you play it is you said you put 10 children in a room, or eight or however, 12, sitting next to each other, and you tell that the first person uh, a word, cupcake, and this person says cupcake, or whatever they say, presumably cupcake, into the ear of the next one. And then, especially if it comes eight or ten or twelve people later, it comes out toothbrush or baseball or something else. Uh, and you wonder from people reciting the Buddha said thus, thus have I heard is how all the sermons begin. And maybe someone didn't hear exactly right, or someone stuck in something that wasn't there because they wanted it in there. But by and large, because it was an oral tradition, uh, it, it, it was organized into lists, the ten this and the three this and the four that, so that they could be remembered over that amount of time. And one of the lists that uh, we just did the list of the four Brahma Viharas, the four divine abodes of the world. I think I'm actually going to ask you right now, how many people found that that was a helpful meditation? Sweep the mind with those four abodes. Maybe, uh, maybe this is what I want to say. There's a certain, I want to go on from that's a certain list of Brahma Viharas. And in fact, on uh, the Memorial Day weekend, I really want to teach in depth about those four of goodwill and compassion and empathic joy and equanimity even though I totally believe they are all enmeshed one in another and that you can't have one without the other. But just as the Buddha found it useful to take out everything and explain it on its own, 
and then you understand they all work together. We'll organize that. I will organize those two days that way. But there's another list that's um, also very useful. And I'll tell you about that one and tell you the story that goes with it. There's a list of things called the Ten Paramitas. Paramitas are the qualities of the heart. Uh, and the list of the paramitas is this way. Oh, the, the teaching about the paramitas is this. Par the word paramita means uh, something that has been made complete. Um, that if you say the Buddha had completed the paramita of generosity in all his previous lives before his life as uh, Siddhartha Gautama, and thus meriting the life where he became totally, totally enlightened. The, the, the ten traits of the heart that he had perfected are generosity, morality, renunciation, wisdom, energy, patience, truthfulness, determination, loving kindness, and equanimity. So now I'm going to pose a question. I'm going to tell that list again, and I'm going to suggest that one of them is a ringer. You're going to tell me which one doesn't belong on that list exactly. So this is how you're going to know it. All of the things that are on that list, generosity, starting with that, are things that you could wake up in the morning and say, today I'm going to be super generous every time I came. Uh, today I'm going to be so truthful, I'm never going to say anything that isn't exactly, you know, none of us, I'm sure, tells outright lies. But we probably embellish a story or make it a little bit more dramatic because it's interesting to tell. Today I'm going to do truthfulness to the point of boredom or something. But one of them is a ringer. You can't get up in the morning and say, today I'm going to. So I'm going to say them again and you see if you figure out which one. In my view, it's in there. <laughs> It's not a mistake, and I can even make a case for it being in there, but which one of these is not something you can get up in the morning and say, today, okay, generosity, generosity, morality, renunciation, wisdom, energy, truthfulness, patience, determination, loving kindness, and equanimity. So raise your hand with that button if you know which one, or you think you know which one. Oh, Barbara, there you are. Go. I think it's wisdom. I think it is, too. <laughs> Ding. Was that what you were going to say, Victoria? No, I, I, I'd love to get up every morning and say I'm going to um, have wisdom in all my decisions and actions today, but it's, it doesn't work that way, unfortunately. <laughs> but, no, so there you go. There's so much for that. I loved it. Uh, I also, I wrote a whole book on that, Once Upon a Time, uh, which is my favorite book, by the way. It's called Pay Attention, for goodness sake. And it's a doublon ton, as you can make out because it means pay attention for the sake of goodness. It also means pay attention for goodness sake. But, uh, and I talk about that particular thing. Uh, 
But I had the best time writing this book because I, this is a fundamental belief of mine. I remember in the beginning of my practice, I was, um, I was, this is now 40, no, yes. <laughs> if I was 41 years old, so it's 44 years ago. It's an incredible amount of time to be talking about the same Dharma over and over and over again. Um, when I started, it was standard teaching procedure and all of my teachers over and over explain the path of awakening, the path of developing understanding uh, and a heart that didn't cling to anything and a heart that was fully open, all the good things that I wanted to have happen, uh, that everything would happen if I developed wisdom. And the formula for developing wisdom was you paid attention, for goodness sake, you paid attention, paid attention very hard, and then you had insights. And an insight was something that you hadn't seen in quite that way again. And there are certain kinds of insights that are fundamental insights that are always true. Uh, paramount among them is the insight that everything passes. You know, that no matter what, tomorrow will, the sun will come up, if there's still a world, but as we go, that I will be older, that babies about to be born will be born, that everything is always changing, that in fact, one of the insights is everything is only, the only thing that's ever there is change, things in the middle of changing. So we go on from there. Say so. It says you you'll develop that insight into insight into uh, Im impermanence, and you'll also develop the insight into uh, suffering. And they mean by it the kinds of habits of the mind that take whatever is going on and make it worse. I was uh, talking to uh, I ta actually I was talking to one of my granddaughters over the weekend, and I said. Uh, I said, there's one, uh, she, I think she was lamenting some situation. And I said, listen, there's only one rule that the Buddha said, that the, the rule is, don't make it worse. What's ever happening, don't make it worse. Um, I got that from my friend, Tony Bernhardt, who uh, came to Spirit Rock one day and was teaching with me. And he said, that's really the summary of the four, the, uh, Four Noble Truths, that life comes with pain and difficulty. We make it worse with the habits of our mind. We have a possibility to not make it worse. And you could train your mind to not make it worse. Those are Four Noble Truths. And Tony said, the way I think about it in teaching people, as I say in general, whatever it is, don't make it worse. Don't make it worse. And, you know, I really, I really think it works with children, with grandchildren. Don't make it worse. So here's a, here's a formula again for becoming awakened to the truth and free of suffering. So you, you sit and you meditate and you meditate and you meditate and you realize impermanence. Ah, okay, I got one of those the insights. And you realize about suffering, that suffering is, is the the result of struggling with things as they are 
leave them alone, they're going to pass. And then you'll have wisdom. And the third of the insights that you're supposed to see is the insight of interrelationship, that everything happens because other things happen. There's nothing that stands alone and separate in the universe. Everything was conditioned by something else. If my if I stand next to somebody who uh, has this is such a bad I'm going to change this. I'm going to say if I if I uh, if my grandson sits if my great granddaughter sits on my lap and sneezes and I get sick, it's not because I'm a bad person. It's because things happen and then other things happen as a result of them. And if I turned my head, I might not have that. Everything is in flux with everything else. Everything is dependent on everything else. The situation in Ukraine is dependent on all of the conditions there that didn't change. If they changed, or if they changed now, it would be different. And if you really understood these in a deep and profound way then you would stop creating suffering in your own mind and you'd spread only goodwill. And so you'd be awakened and you'd be awakened into full compassion for all beings. And I remember thinking to myself, what if a person wasn't a good meditator? What, what if they just, they couldn't meditate or they, their, their mind was too overwhelmed, or they couldn't think straight, or they were handicapped or limited in some way. There's got to be a way that we could start at the under end, uh, other end of the equation. You know, I was trained in, in uh, college as a chemist, and you write chemical equations usually that you put this compound plus this, and then you put an arrow not an equal, but an arrow leads to this with an arrow that leads to that. And there are some uh, um, equations that you can put the arrows both ways. That if you start here, then that will lead back to that, to that, to that, to that. So I said, okay, there's got to be a way uh, that you could start and not do the route of meditate and have insight and meditate more and have insight meditate more and have insight in order to be fully awakened to the truth in order to become a fully compassionate person who understood that everyone's life is one life i read a wonderful quote this morning it's a whole place so i remember where i was from paul farmer who knows who paul farmer was everybody knows but they don't know. everybody know i'll tell you right away paul farmer was a, an incredible physician who died two years ago. Uh, I think the organization that he founded is Partners in Health. I'm not sure I remember it. But uh, his whole life was devoted to going any place where his training was in infectious diseases, to going any place where there were infectious diseases happening and uh, needed more input and, and, and more uh, medical help, that he was the spearheader of that. And he said, what was the line he said? Because I wrote it down. Um, 
<laughs> Somewhere I wrote it down, don't see it. But he said, uh, the only, uh, there's only one nation. That was it. That, that Why was he interested? Uh, that the people of the world are one nation. So that was, that was inspiring his, I said, more or less that, inspiring his going to all kinds of places where there were intransigent uh, infectious diseases with uh, yet another attempt to cure them. Google poor pharma. Write, uh, send away for Tracy Kidder's book, uh, Mountains Beyond Mountains, because you will read it and be so uplifted by it. Anyway, back from that. So what if you can't have this awareness through uh, through insight, couldn't you just start with complete compassion in your mind and with complete goodness in your mind, complete integrity in your mind? And in fact, the the um, the list of the paramitas that I've now done twice of generosity, morality, renunciation, uh, wisdom, we'll, we'll put that half up maybe, uh, energy, patience, etc., 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 are uh, uh, that's a list of all the qualities that you could on your own develop, which would lead you to the insight of everything's changing, that what anybody does matters, what everybody does matters, that we could have a world where there wasn't so much extra suffering. We could start at the other end of the equation. And I like that so much that it caused me to write the book about it. Because I like the idea that there are good people all, all around, like Paul Farmer and John Namkum, who have not perfected every parameter to the end, but have lived lives of virtuous people who have in their hearts already a feeling of loving all beings. That's what I meant to ask you, so we'll do that in a little bit. Just I put myself too much to say, so I'm just going to say a little bit more, and then we're going to talk about it. Because what I'm going to ask you is, when we did that paramita, when we did that um, meditation on the Brahma Viharas, what came up for you and how did you feel and what questions came up and what questions in general do you have? But to tell you that, what I wanted to tell you was the end of it, that you could start at the end of the equation and say, what matters is I'm going to do everything as if I had all those insights. I am going to behave with perfect generosity or whatever that is. I'm going to be available to other people. I'm going to listen at least to the needs of other people as much as myself. That was the point that I was wanting to get to. Because I wanted to say this line, which I wrote this morning, which is to not be held captive by your own pain so that you'll be able to be touched by the pain of others. That's what we're doing, to not be held captive by our own story. You know, I see, I, I imagine you know people who 
are held captive by their own story. The most, the most significant move, I think, is to go from our people to all people. Like Paul Farmer say, there's only one nation, there's only one people. May, though the Bodhisattva vow, may all beings everywhere be peaceful and happy and come to the end of suffering. And uh, beings are numberless and suffering is endless. I vow to end it. I can't possibly be running around house to house in the whole world. What does that mean? It means if my heart were a completely open heart, it would already be finished. Whatever house I'd be in front of, I would meet with kindness or compassion. I'd love to have that. We don't actually have it. I think, in my own case, anyway, I'll talk for myself. And I've told the story a lot of times, so probably you recognize it, that um, I can be in the best kind of a mood and feeling good and rejoicing and being alive and thinking kind thoughts and easy thoughts, loving thoughts about everybody, thinking about what's happening in the world. And the phone rings, I pick up the phone and it says, oh, we don't pick up the phone anymore, we click it on, right? Uh, and uh, a voice that I recognize says, hello, Ma. Not anybody has a situation where there might be someone who would call you and say, hello, Ma, in a not proper tone of, in a tone of voice that you knew something was the matter with them on the other side. They're calling to, not to say, hello, Ma, I just won, or I just uh, got the prize for, you know, the best so-and-so. But hello, Ma, in a voice that means, hello, Ma, I need help. Anybody recognizes that voice? So, and before you even say, you might be thinking about, I love the whole world, my all beings be well, all beings be peaceful and happy, and I feel so good from wishing that. And all of a sudden, someone says, hello, Ma. Or they say, pick up the phone and say, hello, Sil. And you also realize that you recognize their voice, and you know the news is not going to be good. What happens to you? What happens to you? You want to say? You can, you can click your response now. Anybody wants to click? Hand up. You can do it on your raised hand. What happens in your mind when somebody says that? Fear. Victoria wrote that. Okay. What else? Happens in my mind is, uh-oh. Well, that's the same as fear. It's a mirror neutron, yes. Uh-oh, there's Victoria. Uh, my heart drops. Before you even hear what the problem is, your heart drops. And uh-oh, uh what's wrong? And the whole world disappears. At that point, there's only two people in the world, you and the person who's calling. <laughs> In order to have a heart as wide as the world, which is the name of a book that my friend Sharon Salzberg wrote, a heart as wide as the world, you have to not be caught in your own story. If you are only interested in all of the, the whole being of the world, you, and you didn't have your story of your friends, your parents, your siblings, your children, your grandchildren, if you have them, 
then maybe you could live in that whole thing. But we've got any of us, with or without direct family, we've got next door neighbors. If suddenly there's an ambulance in the street parked in front of your neighbor's house, you think, uh-oh, and it, it triggers a concern for other people. We are connected that way. And I think, yeah, that's what Tom says to everybody, that someone says, hello, Ma, or Syl, or Tom, that somebody died, and they're going to tell you. How many people in their lifetime here have gotten a call that says hello and it was somebody died? Yeah. It happens. It happens. A friend of mine is just, I guess he's writing a, a new book, but he just sent the name of the book. Uh, and it's just a blog, but it's called... Um, Life is one close shave after another. Uh, I, I, don't, <laughs> I see Chuck is laughing about that. But, you know, when you think about it, oh, someone, Allison has put there, the, the quest of Paul Farmer, a man who would cure the world by Tracy Kidder. It's a lovely book. Actually, this earlier this morning, I reordered it for myself because I looked on my bookshelf and it's gone. Um, because people die, and sometimes unexpectedly, and sometimes expectedly. And it's always, uh-oh, it's always painful. I think that we need to have that experience of personal loss and personal joy and personal celebration and personal delight in order to make the move from that to impersonal. That's where I wanted to get to. That I think we need to have, we learn from our uh, experience with people and in families and in communities how it is to be touched by the lives of others. And then we need to we need to, that's out this pontificating talk. I think to myself, the, the, what I hope I am starting to do, especially as an old person with my family older, I'm not worrying about any, with my family established and most of my life lived, is I, because I, I think it's true that I think more easily about all the people in the world. They seem more apparent to me. Sometimes I should maybe do a survey on that, write a book about that. It's supposed to be true. Eric Erickson said when you got old, then you gradually, as you got old, you went from thinking about your family to thinking about everybody's family. It's a nice thought. May it be true. So what I'd like to do is I'd like to spend uh, five or six minutes in another. I thought we'd sit for a longer meditation. But I'll review for, uh, for this, we'll do a short meditation in which I will remind you of all of those 10 paramis. I'll leave out the wisdom one. And I'll put I'll leave it out of where it is. 
and I'll put it at the end and I'll make some sort of uh, some sort of invocation about it and we'll sit for a couple of minutes and then we can talk. The only thing on my page that I didn't tell you is um, about the experience of uh, no, I won't tell you now. I'll tell you later when we have the, the back and forth talking. I want to save it because I am going to ask you, how do you feel when you think about each of these qualities? I'm going to, uh, we're going to do a meditation on those qualities. And I'd like for each of them, I'm going to say, think about generosity. And then I'm going to wait a few minutes and I'd like you to think about, not abstract, but something that some way in which you have recently be gen been generous and some ways in which recently people have shown generosity towards you. And then I'll go on through it. And then people will say at the end something that they want to say, and then I'll say something. My one thing. <laughs> anyway, sit in a comfortable way and smile. Think of a time recently, yesterday, today, day before, where someone was generous with you, with time, with stuff, or with you were generous with them, with your interest, with your time. about some moment that comes to mind recently where you did the right thing and it's a moral act I'm thinking as I stopped at a 
stop sign when there was no a four-way stop where there was nobody anywhere on a country road and I stopped or anything else Somebody did some moral act for me. Think of an act of renunciation where you decided not to do something because it wasn't good for you, even though you felt like it. <laughs> and I'm laughing because I suddenly thought of several like maybe impulsively buying a book every single time I think about, it. I need that. Well, think about energy, a situation where you really did something extra to make something happen, or somebody did something extra to help you out. Think about patience on any of those. You could think to yourself, this one I'm really good at, but this one I'm not so good at. Maybe I could practice it more.
How about truthfulness? How about determination? Oh, loving kindness. equanimity. Now we'll put wisdom on the end and see what comes up. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.